welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a talk from Scott on the mission of Christoformity from PalCon 2018. I'm very grateful uh, to be able to come to San Diego from Chicago, home of the Chicago Cubs, best, best team in baseball. I don't mind picking a fight. We, it took us 108 years to win the World Series. But I want to thank uh, John and Ron for this kind invitation to be with you, and for Tara Beth, who I think she's over here. I think she was behind all of it. So good to be back at Point Loma, and uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to uh, talk the little things, so I want to get right to it. I was once, one time preaching in an Episcopalian church. Just before I got up, I asked the priest, how long do I have to preach? He said, 12 minutes. <laughs> I said, I grew up Baptist. <laughs> and he said, 13, but not a minute more. <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll keep it short. Because you're Nazarenes and not Episcopalians, I'll go a little bit longer than that. All right? I want to tie together pastors, church, and mission. Uh, as a theme, to talk about the mission of the church in the world, uh, nurtured by pastors, but also nurtured by lay folks as well. So this isn't just directed at something that pastors and, uh, can do. And I believe that the fundamental mission of churches, the fundamental mission of a pastor, the fundamental mission of lay people in a church is to nurture Christoformity. All right, so I want to explain that a little bit. It's a big term, but I'm a seminary professor and I get by with stuff like that. It means to be formed to Christ. Dallas Willard called it Christ-likeness, uh, but I want to develop this idea of what it means to be Christoformed or to work into Christoformity because this is what pastors are called to do, to nurture a culture of Christoformity, which means that churches have to, be want, have to want to go along with participating in Christoformity, and lay people want to participate in being Christoformed and forming Christoformity in their homes and in their small groups and whatever areas of ministry they have. So this isn't something that you can assign to a pastor and then move on. This is something that we are all engaged in. A friend of mine named Michael Gorman wrote, uh, has been writing a series of big books uh, that develop a theme of what he calls cruciformity, which is being formed to the cross of Christ. My professor, James D.G. Dunn, uh, called this Christoformity, and I like Christoformity because Christ is a person, and it's a larger idea than simply being conformed to the cross. But this is, this is the essential idea, and it's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. And I want to read these verses 
These verses are probably the quotation or citation or adaptation of an early Christian hymn. There's speculation on that, but that's what professors like to do. And uh, they think they know things they can't know, but since they all know that, then it's knowable. <laughs> Correct? But this is probably a Christian hymn, and Paul quotes it because of divisions in the church at Philippi, a northern Greece uh, colony of Rome. And this is what he said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, perspective, orientation, uh, way of life as did Christ Jesus. And Christ, you know, is not Jesus' name, it is uh, the Greek translation of the word Messiah. So King Jesus or Messiah Jesus. And this is the, the hymn now. Who, and this could be translated because or although, because he was in the very nature of God. Think about that. This is what God is like. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, this is stage two in the negation or uh, stepping down. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So because he was God and because he loved us, he became human being. But not only does he become human, being found in appearance as a man or as a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because he was God, he went to the cross. Though God, he went to the cross. Both ideas are present. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name, the beautiful name that we've been singing about, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a weird message in the Roman Empire. Okay? And if you don't sense the oddity and the shocking, stunning nature of what this says about God, because in the Roman Empire, domination was the word. Peace, sure. Pax Romana. What a wonderful idea, as long as you are the ruler or ruled. But the minute you don't like the ruling, it's domination. It's no longer Pax Romana. So the fundamental strategy in the Roman Empire was to exalt yourself. This is why Paul has to talk constantly about boasting, because if you weren't willing to boast, you didn't have any status. And if you had status, you had to boast. Boasting was inherent to being a good human being in the Roman Empire. Domination by conquering and triumph was the name of the Roman game. And the message of the Gospel of Paul is the opposite. God wins by becoming a loser. He wins by dying. He wins by sacrifice of himself and surrender. This is the pattern of Christ in the New Testament. 
The hymn of Colossians 1, 15 to 20 is also like this. Virtually every gospel passage in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 2, the shortest one, 1 Corinthians 15, a longer one, is about this story that though God, because he was God, he comes to us for redemption and dies on our behalf and it is therefore exalted. The goal isn't to win, it's to give yourself for the sake of the other and through that God exalts those who have gone through that path. That's Christoformity. Christoformity is to be formed to this pattern of Jesus Christ. To give yourself for the sake of others, for their redemption, and God will take care of all the victories that need to be sorted out. This is, as C.S. Lewis once said about forgiveness, he said, forgiveness is a lovely thing until you have something to forgive. Christoformity is such a wonderful idea until you have to surrender to someone you don't like for their redemption, for their good, and you orient yourself through the cross towards someone else for their victory, not for yours. I contend that the mission of pastors and the mission of the churches is to nurture cultures of Christoformity. This is no... This is not very American, okay? I can say this, I think, but I'm leaving. This is not the way of Donald Trump, okay? I don't care who you voted for, but that's not his strategy. And it is not the strategy of many Christian leaders who want to be celebrities, who want to have power, who don't know the game of dying for the sake of others, of surrendering their reputations, for others, of surrendering their good and their goals and their victories so that others might win and others might achieve their goals. So Christoformity, I contend, is the mission of a church and is the mission of a pastor. So I want to develop a couple themes connected to this, uh, and um, I'll go until my time runs out. Is that all right? Okay. The first one is this that if we want to form a culture of Christoformity, it means that we will form a culture that focuses on people. We will form a culture that focuses on people. If you read through the letters of the Apostle Paul, you will notice how often his obsession is his churches, the people in his churches and their growth in Christ-likeness or Christoformity. He really cares about people. Sometimes in churches, programs overwhelm people. Is that right? We have a strategy. We'll get to our goal if this program is implemented, and in the implementation, some people can get run over, and it doesn't always bother us, and it should. Paul cared about people. I don't know how I found this, but I was struck recently by something said about pastors. Because I believe pastors nurture cultures in their churches. There is an inevitability of a culture being nurtured by a pastor. 
doesn't matter what culture it is, it will be cultured because pastors nurture cultures. And I read this uh, in a Barna study called The State of Pastors when asked what pastors like to do most. 66% of them said they like preaching and teaching. Barna said, or David Kinneman, said there's a big drop-off from there. And this is where I got nervous. One in 10 says developing other leaders is their most enjoyable task. One in 12 prefers discipling others. Evangelizing, only 6%. And pastoral care, only 5%. A mere 2%, and I'm in this 2%, and I'm at the bottom of this list, enjoy organizing church events, meetings, and committees. <laughs> they are definitely from the evil one. <laughs> That's in the Bible. You can see it. You can. But this is what bothered me. If, if pastors are nurturing a culture and they would rather be on a platform preaching than working with people by a big measure, then perhaps... This is where we first have to begin, that pastors need to become people who nurture other people. Now, I have a pastor who is this way. He meets with people throughout the week. I talked to a, a recent pastor who's going through a pretty difficult situation. The abbreviation for the church is Willow Creek. <laughs> Subtle, isn't it? And he said that he's meeting with people from nine to four, five days a week. That's a pastor. He's pastoring people. He has to preach on top of that, but he's not giving up his pastoral time for his preaching time. That's where the culture begins. But we have to become not only pastors. You can't say, okay, we're not very good with people because our pastor's not. It starts with each of us where we spend time with people at coffee, lunch, dinner, talking to people, relating to people, all right? Second point, that's a smooth transition, is a culture of formation of, of uh, crystal formity develops when we see that the focus is to cleave to the Lord. So a second theme for me of Christoformity is that we will cleave to the Lord. This is from a Hebrew word in the Old Testament, davak, which means to cleave to, and is found in several cases. And one of the more interesting dimensions of this cleaving is that it describes how underclothes fit to the body. And that's how close people are to cleave to the Lord, Jeremiah says. We are to cleave to the Lord, to be adhered, to fix to Him, to get connected to Him, to learn from Him, to see how He operates. So we will only form, we will only be formed into Christoformity. We can only encourage people into Christoformity as we cleave to the Lord ourselves, as we listen to His words, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in worship that we become focused on the Lord. 
To me, this, this focuses then on the important theme of, of uh, being connected to, to leaders in the church and to being discipled. The foundation of all education is emulation, not information, okay? That's a lot. It takes a long time to unpack this, but the foundational dimension of our, our growth in spirituality is to be connected to God so that we can know God and learn to emulate God. The fundamental dimension of education is emulation. Vic Copan, a student of mine who is now a professor in Florida, wrote a book on Paul as a spiritual director in which he said, it is my contention that the total shape of the life of the director in spiritual direction is a key factor, if not the key factor, in the success of spiritual direction. Effectiveness, he said, in spiritual direction is not to be found primarily in technique, but in the character and lifestyle of the one providing the direction. The Hebrew expression for this is also hakam, or hoka, is wisdom. Is that we find someone worthy of emulation who is a sage, who is wise, and we get connected to them and we learn from them. We emulate them. We ask them how they do things. When I began teaching in a seminary in the early 1980s, there was an older professor who had hair like mine, or had not hair like mine, uh, and his hair was gray, and his name was Murray Harris, and I decided he was going to be my sage. So every time I had to make a decision about a new course to teach, which textbooks to use, an opportunity to write a magazine article or a dictionary entry, I would go to Murray Harris and I would ask his opinion. And I made this commitment when I was a very young professor. Whatever he told me to do, I would do, even if I didn't think it was right. Now, not morally, because I knew he was wiser than I was and that his advice would be good. So for about seven years, Every time I made a big decision about these kinds of things, I asked him, and I did what he said, except twice. I was wrong both times. <laughs> and he was right all the other times because he was a sage. I cleaved to him, and when he moved to New Zealand, uh, back to his home country, I missed him. I missed his wisdom and his gentle presence of wisdom in my life. And we need to cleave to people. We need to cleave to the Lord. We need to cleave to people to be Christoform. And that is we need to find examples of Christoformity and say, I want to be like you. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11:1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. That takes some chutzpah. That's Yiddish for guts. To be able to tell people, just follow me. I know how to follow Jesus. And that's what Paul did. Third, we need to become, to be a Christoform, 
uh, community, we need to become a crystal form presence. A crystal form presence. I don't know if you know about this, but this is true even in the United States in the secular world that we live in. People expect something more of Christians. They really do. They expect Christians to live better than ordinary. They expect Christians not to do stupid, immoral, foolish things. And when they do, they are quick to point it out. And we get tired of the media pointing out our faults. And I'm thankful for the media pointing out our faults. We need to be reminded of, that we're not living up to Christoformity the way we can. My favorite story of the importance of our being a Christoform presence in our society, in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our workplaces, is a story of someone you may know as Obi-Wan Kenobi. He was in a movie called Star Wars, which I've never seen. I don't go to many movies. I don't hardly go to any movies. So, but while he was acting in the role of a movie called Father Brown in Burgundy, France, he tells the story of a late evening shoot that attracted a large number of local people, including children. And in his autobiography called Blessings in Disguise, which is a good title, don't you think? He tells the story of what happened one evening after he had been acting the role of a priest. A room had been put at my disposal in the little station hotel three kilometers away. By the time dusk fell, I was bored and dressed in my priestly gown. I climbed the gritty winding road to the village. In the square, children were squealing, having mock battles with sticks for swords and dustbin lids for shields. And in a cafe, Peter Finch, Bernard Lee, and Robert Hammer were sampling their first Pernod of the evening. I joined them for a modest cur, and since you're Nazarenes, you don't know what those drinks are. <laughs> then discovering I wouldn't be needed for at least four hours, I turned back toward the station. By now it was dark. I hadn't gone far when I heard scampering footsteps and a piping little voice calling Mon Père, my father. My hand was seized by a boy of seven or eight years old who clutched it tightly, swung it, and kept up a nonstop prattle. He was full of excitement, hops, and skips, and jumps, but he never let go of me. I didn't dare speak in case my excruciating French would scare him off. Although I was a total stranger, he obviously took me for a priest and so to be trusted. Suddenly, with a bonsoir, mon père, good night, my father, and a hurried sideways sort of bow, he disappeared through a hole in a hedge. He had had a happy, reassuring walk home with a priest, and I was left with an odd, calm sense of elation. Continuing my walk, I reflected that a church that could inspire such confidence in a child, making its priests 
even when totally unknown, so easily approachable, that church could not be as scheming and creeping as often made out. Alec Guinness says, I began to shake off my long-taught, long-absorbed prejudices against the church, and he returned to the church and remained a faithful Christian the rest of his life because of that odd, calm sense of elation. All right, I'm an Anglican. We wear priestly collars. All right? So I'm going to put one on. All right, right here. This okay? You won't be offended. I'm leaving anyway, so here we go. This is California. Whenever I go to the airport and I wear this, I am always asked to pray for people. And I don't tell them I'm not a priest because they call me father. And I go, I'm not a father. I'm a deacon. So I've learned when I go to the airport that if I wear my priestly black, that I will probably be approached by people who are afraid of flying, who are sick, who have parents who are dying, and they want pastoral comfort. And when I want to be left alone, I take it off, and they don't know the difference between a regular shirt and a priestly collar. Okay? And I do that more often now because I'm busy, you know. I got books to read. Don't ever think that you are not the presence of Christ wherever you are. You are. You cannot deny it. You cannot eliminate it. The minute people know that you're singing about the name of Jesus, you're marked. You're marked to become a presence. I have to move on. Fourth, this may be a little edgy for you, but it's very biblical, so you're going to have to accept it. And that is, we have a priestly role in the world. Pastors have a priestly role, and I think the priestly role is the most important role of a pastor and of a Christian and of a mom and of a dad in a family to mediate the presence of Christ to other people. That's what priests do. Barbara Brown Taylor says a priest is a representative person who walks the shifting boundary between heaven and earth representing God to humans, representing humans to God, and serving each in the other's names. How do we do this? We do this because we have the gospel of redemption and we mediate redemption to people. We do this because we know things that are true that we can point out as gospel truths. We intercede for other people. We are the presence of God to other people as mediation in the way we embody our life, and we are at times leaders of worship. I don't remember, I don't know if he's Scottish or Irish. Scottish. I was going to say that, but I wasn't sure. I one time asked a Scotsman, when you're irritated with the English, what do you call them? And he said, I reckon English is bad enough. <laughs> but when he was up here, he was guiding us into worship. He was mediating. He was priestly in what he was doing. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 15, when he describes his ministry, you could not have collocated more 
priestly language for what he was doing than he says in Romans 15, verses 15 and 16. He says, I have written you quite boldly, and at the end he says, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister, liturgist, of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read Leviticus, you got it. This is, this is what Paul is saying. He has a priestly responsibility in the world. That's his ministry. Every Christian has a similar priestly ministry. Whatever it is, they're trying to offer up someone else as a sanctified offering to God as they contribute to those people's lives. We have this priestly ministry in broken clay vessels, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. All right? Sixth, fifth, whatever number I'm on, I don't remember. I'm running out of time. All right? A crystal form, crystal formity engages leadership. Sometimes we develop servant leadership so much that leaders no longer want to lead, and then they're not leaders. So here's what a leader is. A leader is someone that people follow. How about that for a definition? And the the Greek word used in the New Testament for leader is prostomenoi, and that is someone who stands in front, who leads and guides and mentors, not as superior, but as a fellow follower of Jesus, wiser and more mature in some ways, to guide people into the church. And as I've aged, I've seen the difficulty of young people being leaders of old people. This is a tension that I feel. But I find that young people have things as leaders for me that older people would not have, challenging dimensions. But we need leaders in the church. And Paul was not afraid of leaders. Now, I can't close without offering uh, two negative points, and that is this. Pastors, churches are tempted to celebrity and power. No pastor becomes a celebrity without people making that person a celebrity. It doesn't happen because someone says, I want to be famous. That's people who have blogs. You can be famous on your own blog. You have your own platform. You know, two two cheers for you. Churches churches form the culture that creates celebrities. Pastors nurture celebrity. Pastors nurture power. There is no such thing as a celebrity or a power in a Christoform culture. It is impossible. In fact, it is idolatrous and sacrilegious because it displaces Christ as the only true celebrity. He's not a celebrity. He's the Lord. He's far transcending of celebrity. And only Christ has power. And the power that Christ has is a power he surrendered for the sake of others. So anyone accumulating power is far from Christ. 
because Christ distributed power for the sake of others, and only then was he honored. If we want to form crystal form cultures in our churches as leaders and people, we have to work against the temptation of celebrity and power. We have to work toward Christ as being the true Lord and his way of life as the only form of power, who though God became human, even to the point of a cross, and only then, after he had given himself for others, was he given honor. That is the only kind of celebrity and power that a church wants to nurture. Thank you. 